They shook him awake, and in a matter of seconds, Jesus went from sweet sleep to absolute horror. The words that he heard from his disciples shocked him out of his sleep. They simply said this, Jesus, John is dead. And in that instant, Jesus becomes extremely human, even though he's fully God. Some of you have been there. You got the phone call at 3 o'clock in the morning that you never thought would come. You, you had a door knock at 4 a.m. And an, off, an officer standing in front of you said, I have bad news for you. Jesus is shocked into pain. And the Bible tells us this is what happened in the 24 hours that followed. If you want to follow along with me. John's disciples came, took his body and buried it. And then they went and told Jesus. When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. And when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowd away so that they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Jesus replied, They don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. We have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here to me, he said. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass and taking the five loaves of bread and two fish, he looked up to heaven, gave thanks and broke the loaves and then he gave the disciples and the disciples gave them to the people and they all ate and were satisfied and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. There are a number of those who ate was 5,000 men besides women and children. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get in the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. And after he dismissed them, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because of the wind against it. During the fourth watch of the night, so between 3 and 6 a.m., Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat and walked on the water to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have a little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? When they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. And then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. When they'd crossed over, they landed at Gennesaret. And when the men of that place recognized Jesus, they sent word to all the surrounding country. And people brought all their sick to him and begged him to let the sick just touch the edge of his cloak. And all who touched him were healed. Many people don't realize that everything that I just read to you took place in a 24-hour period. You think you had a rough day this past week? That's a tough day. The first four books of the New Testament are all eyewitness accounts of what Jesus walked through. And what is amazing is that every one of them, from different perspectives, like different reporters reporting on the same story, every single one of them talks about that 24-hour period. I mean, they give us a different angle, but what they're essentially saying is this 24-hour period would have brought any normal human being to their knees. I mean, I just want to remind you again, everything that happened, happened after Jesus just found out that his best friend, his cousin, John the Baptist, had been murdered. 24 hours of pain and laughter and miracles and lessons and truth. 
Stories are found in Matthew 14, which we just read. Mark chapter 6, Luke chapter 9, John chapter 6. So let me just recap again for you. If I was reading too fast, what happened? So first thing in the morning, Jesus is told that John the Baptist has been murdered. His friend and his cousin, the guy who paved the way for Jesus' ministry, is suddenly gone. Killed by a leader with a little spine and even less courage. It's a great story. You should read it. If you've ever lost someone close, you know exactly how God feels. I can't imagine if I found out this morning my closest friend died and that I had to spend the rest of the day ministering. I would be so prone to get away. Well, that's what Jesus does, but he doesn't get to stay away for very long. He withdraws to a solitary place. Jesus needs to be alone. He needs some time to think, some chance to grieve. He wants to be alone. All he needs is his thoughts and his heavenly father. He needs to pray. But the Bible tells us in a different account that before he could even get away, his disciples show up and they want to bring a business report. That's great, right? You just found out your best friend died and everybody's just like, happy, happy. We got these great returns, Jesus. You're not going to believe it. We've been out casting out demons, healing sick people. It's been awesome. They all come back and they have stories to tell. And Jesus has a broken heart, but the Bible says he actually listens as they reported all they had done and taught. Have you ever been, been just crushed with pain and grief and then been inundated with people? It's painful. Jesus listens and laughs and encourages and shares the joy. But I'm sure there was a moment when he just wishes he could look at the guys and just say, just stop. John's dead. You'd think maybe then he could get some rest, but that's not what happens. You see, the people find out that the leader of this miracle group of guys that can heal people... That, that he's shown up in their area. And so they start dragging all of their sick to come to Jesus. And all of a sudden, his silence is turned into a sideshow. The Bible says Jesus healed their sick. How many? Who knows? Probably lost count. As the day wears on, the disciples show up and say, Jesus, these guys have been here all day long. You need to send them back to the villages to get food. Classic moment. Jesus says, uh, they don't need to go anywhere. You feed them. The disciples are like, ah... Uh, Got a Hebrew version of a Happy Meal here. And a really ticked off kid because someone took his lunch. I mean, you know, you know, he kind of offered it, but we just, yeah, there we go. What a moment, right? The di disciples think they have a crisis. The first prerequisite to a miracle is an impossible situation. And that's exactly what they've got. The Bible says that they feed all of these people, and finally you'd think Jesus could be alone with his pain and his loneliness and his crisis, but Jesus sends the disciples off, and he goes off to pray. Finally, he gets a breath, and then the wind kicks up, and Jesus has to get involved again. The Bible tells us Jesus sees a storm and walks on water to rescue the disciples, and while he's out walking on the water, but by the way, if you think you're so powerful in your world and in your life, pull that off. I'll come watch and buy a ticket. All right? I mean, Jesus is all walking on the water. One disciple fails, but at least he tried. The other 11 fail because they just choose to do nothing. And then finally the day is over. I mean, seriously, you thought your Thursday was tough? Try living through that. I mean, it's just, you know, just people and needs and demands and pressure and more needs and pain and the burden of being human and being God at the same time. We're going to talk about that struggle during the Christmas series this year. I mean, that's where we relate to Jesus and the humanness, because we've got that pressure too, right? The stories and the deadlines and the budgets and the kids, the burden of being human. 
I mean, I read that story, and I got tired just reading it. But I also got all the way through the story, and I remember thinking in my head a very simple truth. When I'm in the pain of crisis, Jesus knows how I feel. Hebrews chapter 4, we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who's been tempted in every way, just as we are, and yet was without sin. Some of you don't actually believe that, but it's true. You're like, no, Grant, you don't understand. I've been dealing with this temptation. Jesus felt temptation. Matthew chapter 4, he was tempted by the devil. No, you don't understand, Grant. I'm experiencing anger. Jesus got angry. John chapter 2, he cleared the temple. He just got ticked. You don't understand, Grant. My best friend stabbed me in the back. Jesus understands betrayal. John 18, Judas turns his back, walks away. Oh, you get it, Grant. I, I'm having a great day today. I'm feeling very compassionate. Jesus felt compassion. Mark chapter 6, we're going to unpack that a little bit. No, Grant, you don't understand. I feel really, really lonely. I'm terrified of Thanksgiving and Christmas. Jesus felt isolation. Matthew 27, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He gets it. Some of you are like, I feel threatened. I don't know what's coming next. Jesus felt threatened. John chapter 11 is a religious plot to try and kill him. Like, no, Grant, you don't understand. I lost a loved one, and this is our first Thanksgiving without them. It's our first Christmas. Jesus felt grief. Pastor Derek did a great job. Isaiah 53, a man acquainted with grief. A man of sorrows. Well, you don't understand, Grant. I've got chronic pain. Jesus felt pain. Luke 22 says he felt pain to the point where he sweat blood. That's pain. Some of you are like, I'm not, I don't relate to that at all. I'm happy. Jesus felt joy. Mark chapter 6. He gets it. I love the fact that God knows how I feel. But when I read this 24 hours, I just think to myself, Jesus must have known something about how to navigate pain and crisis because his response to pain is not the same as mine. When I start like loading up and getting angry, frustrated, the Fishbook family, step back. I've heard Braden say it, he's going to blow. <laughs> I mean, that's just the way that it works, right? I experience a day like that. I don't even get to noon before like, boom, pastor on fire, right? There it goes. Jesus knew something that allowed him to navigate it. And I think this is so applicable because guess what, friends? This week is Thanksgiving and about four weeks later is Christmas. And you want to talk about crisis and pain and magnification of all the good stuff and all the bad stuff because your in-laws are coming. Yes. I'd love to give you three observations of how Jesus handled the pain of crisis. I'm going to warn you on the front end, this is so simple, it's profound. And you will be so quick to dismiss it. I'm going to challenge you to do something. Before you dismiss it, try it. And see whether or not your Christmas time and Thanksgiving just goes a little better than you expect. Because it's not as easy as it seems. Three observations. I read the story and I noticed something. I noticed Jesus paused in the before and the after. I've preached on the death of John the Baptist at least three times in the 10 plus years that I've been here. I've preached on the feeding of the 5,000 at least eight times that I know of, at least in my archives. I've preached on Jesus walking on water enough times to actually feel damp. 
okay? 10 o'clock, you got that. 8.30, missed it totally, right over their head, all right? But I actually don't want to focus on those major stories. I want you to look at what Jesus does in the cracks of the crisis. I mean, this is what Jesus did before he anticipated a great spiritual movement of God, and he did the same thing right after he experienced it. He knew something. The Bible says this is what he did. Are you ready for it? Two big words, okay? He paused. You're like, that's it? Yep. Matthew 14, 13. When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. He paused. Matthew 14, 23, after he dismissed them, he went up on the mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone. I wonder how different my life would be if I simply learned the spiritual discipline of pausing. Just stopping. Before that wounding word comes flying out of my mouth and cuts my wife to the core. I wonder if it'd be different if I just stopped. Before I allow my anger to just boil out of my mouth. I wonder what would happen if I just stopped. I wonder if my private sin would be different. If when I'm sitting in my car and the person in front of me has been sitting there for three and a half entire seconds while the light is green. I wonder if I would have less to repent of if I just learned how to pause. I wonder if my life would change If after standing in an express lane with a sign that says 10 items or less and I'm having a person in front of me with 11 items, I know because I counted, (laughs) I wonder if before I committed murder in my mind, I wonder if it would change if I just learned how to stop. Jesus is hit by wave after wave, people, demands, time crunch, pain, crisis, drama, trauma, and this is what he does. He just pauses. I wonder if your Thanksgiving dinner would be different if before you take a shot at that in-law, you just learned how to be like Jesus and pause. I wonder if your work would be different. Somebody sent me this this past week. I thought it was hilarious. I love my job. I love the pay. I love it more and more each day. I love my boss, and he's the best. I love his boss and all the rest. I love my office and its location. I hate to have to take vacation. I love my desk, drab and gray, and love those paper piles each day. I love my chair and my padded cell. There's nothing else I love so well. I love to work among my peers. I love their leers and jeers and sneers. I love my computer and all its wares. I hug it often to show I care. I'm happy to be here. I am, I am. I'm the happiest slave to a boss called Sam. I love this work. I love these chores. I love these meetings with boring boards. I love my job. I'll say it again. I even love these friendly men, these men who've come to visit today in lovely white lab coats to take me away. (laughs) Before you get there, pause. One of my favorite writers is Noah Ben Shea. He says it's the space between the notes that makes the music. So I know it's simple, but it's so profound. Pause. Get away. My prayer is that you'll see Christ the King between Thanksgiving and Christmas as a place where you can come and just pause. Just stop. You know, it's amazing to me. This is one of the only churches I've ever been in whose attendance goes down significantly 
leading up to Christmas, the celebration of the incarnation. You know why that happens? It's because we all get sucked in and we forget the value of learning what it means to pause. Now, Grant, you don't understand. The people from the north get to Costco by 11, which means I've got to be there by 9.30. Pause. You'd think it was just a pause, but it's actually a strategic pause. If you open up scripture and you look in the cracks of everything that happened to Jesus in 24 hours after he found out his best friend had been murdered, he not only pauses, but while he pauses, Jesus found his strength in God. He stayed tight with the Father. He had placed aside his complete divinity and while he was still completely God and harnessed himself with humanity, and that's where our hope comes from, he does it. And if he can do it, there has to be hope for us. The Bible's very specific about how you connect with God when you're in deep crisis and in deep pain. Let me just read it to you. The Bible says, release your frustration. Actually, let it out. Psalm 62, verse 8. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart to him. For God is our refuge. And then a little Hebrew word, selah. Anybody guess what selah means? Pause. It means stop and think about it. Pour out your heart. So release your frustration. The Bible also says that if we're going to connect deeply with God, we have to receive help. First Thessalonians 5. Therefore, encourage one another. Build each other up, just as in fact you're doing. Let, let me throw back biblical theology to the 70s. I get by with a little help from my friends. All right? That's how it works. You want to know one of the hardest things about the CTK blessing? It's actually getting people to receive it. I've had to shame some people. Say, really? We wanted you to know that God loves you and your church loves you too, and you're going to say no? Well, thanks for cheating me out of my opportunity to bless you. They're like, okay, 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 okay. <laughs> Sometimes we have to be open to receiving God's encouragement because the Bible says it comes from each other as well as His Holy Spirit. And finally, He refocuses on God. Jonah, my favorite rebel prophet. I mean, just bad attitude, tired, angry. Great pastor, right? Okay. Jonah says this, my life was ebbing away. I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Bible tells us exactly how to handle crisis and how to connect with God. We're supposed to release our frustration, receive help, and refocus on God. So, like I said, so simple, you're going to be prone to dismiss it. When in the midst of crisis and pain and hurt, Jesus paused and then he connected deeply with this heavenly father. I found one more little piece that I think is just so unbelievably clear. Jesus viewed people as opportunities, not as interruptions. You know, it's amazing to me. A couple of weeks ago, I preached about the father bringing his demon-possessed boy. and Jesus says these words to him. Bring the boy to me. You notice what Jesus says about the little paltry lunch that the kid gets? Bring the lunch to me. Bring it to me. He's so consistent as Jesus looks out and says, I have an opportunity here to touch these people. Matthew 14, 14 says this. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, now remember, he just found out his best friend's dead. Saw a large crowd. He had compassion on them and healed their sick. Okay? The Greek word for compassion is splanchniatsomai. That's a good word, right? 
Stick that on words with friends sometime, all right? Let me say it again because it just feels good to say it, all right? Splanchniatsomai. I had to practice it, so I got to say it a couple times, all right? Now, nobody would probably recognize that word unless you're a doctor or a nurse and you've had to take a class in splanchnology, which is the study of the human gut. It's what happens right down in here that controls so much of what happens inside of our body. It's, it's the study of the inner workings of a person. Here's what the Bible's trying to tell us. Jesus felt the inner pain of the people he was trying to touch and he felt it right down deep in here. This is what it means. It means Jesus felt the limp of the person who was coming to him that was lame. He felt the silence of a person who'd never heard anything and was deaf. He experienced the darkness of a person that had spent their whole life blind. He felt the person who was embarrassed because of their sin coming face to face with a man who knew no sin but became sin for us. Jesus felt it in the bottom of his gut. And that's what Jesus is asking us to do this Christmas. Don't turn a blind eye to compassion. Don't turn a blind eye to the person because you're just a little too busy and you don't want to be bothered. No, feel it in your gut. You see, when you view people as opportunities to pour out God's love, you're touched by their pain and they just stop being an interruption. I mean, honestly, what do you have to do that's so unbelievably important that you can't stop to help a human being that God put right in front of you? In that moment when you see that person, they're transformed into people with the thumbprint of God on them. They just need to be pointed back to Jesus. I met Ernie Cantor on the streets of Chicago. Years ago, I was a youth pastor, Steinbach, Manitoba. We used to take a group of students every single summer. We'd go to inner city Chicago and we would do street ministry. In fact, we would uh, often set up a feeding program in the park that's right behind what they call the Golden Mile in Chicago. There's a lot of celebrities that live there. What a lot of people don't know is in the alley behind where all of the celebrities live and in the park right in front of where the celebrities live, there's a, an intense number of, of homeless folks. They're just there. So one night, I'm out with my high school kids, working away, handing out food, beans and rice, and all kinds of stuff like that. A nice warm meal for some folks that hadn't eaten in a long time. And this guy comes riding up on a bicycle. And he pulls up next to me. And he says, are you the leader of this group? I'm like, yeah, I'm the pastor. God told me to come here and tell you something. I just want to know before I say anything whether you're humble enough to receive it from a guy like me. like to think I am. Go for it. He says, I'm Ernie. I'm Grant. What Ernie did not know, no way he could have known, is that my wife and I had been praying very, very deeply about whether or not we were supposed to leave Emmanuel Evangelical Free Church in Steinbeck, Manitoba and come to Washington State, the United States of America, different country, different state, different county, different way of living, to come to a little tiny Baptist church in a town called Everson, Washington. We were praying, should we go? Should we stay? God, we don't know what to do. Ernie, without having any idea what we were talking about, said, this is what God told me to tell you. God told me to tell you that sometimes the greatest act of love that a shepherd can show is when he gives his sheep away into the care of someone else. Wow. 
Okay then. You know, the deal is this. I, I was busy doing ministry. We are feeding people, right? Just kind of doing my own thing. I was doing God's work. And yet if I would have seen Ernie as an interruption instead of as an opportunity, I never would have had the opportunity to hear God tap me on the shoulder and just whisper something. When we bypass people, we miss out. Because sometimes, believe it or not, they're not there so you can do something for them. Sometimes they're there because they're going to do something for you. But sometimes we're just so arrogant, we think the whole universe revolves around us. It's like, I don't have time for that. Maybe we need to make time for it and pause. You know, during the Christmas season... Thanksgiving to Christmas. It's condensed this year. I don't know if you noticed on your calendar, but Thanksgiving, two days later, welcome to December. Some of you are like, oh no, pause. <laughs> Practical application. There you go. As your family gathers this Thanksgiving. Interruptions or opportunities? Your choice. You know what I love about this 24-hour period? I love the fact that Jesus doesn't get what he wants. I think God's trying to tell us something. He doesn't get what he wants. He gets exactly what he needs. He doesn't get what he wants. He wants quiet, but he gets chaos. He wants solitude. He gets company. He wants to grieve, but he gets to serve. And I love the fact that the Bible says in response to all of that pain and crisis, Jesus went off by himself. Do you know what that means? That means Jesus is an introvert. Like me. <laughs> I get paid to be an extrovert. I fill my tank away from people. I'm just like Jesus. That's so cool. I love that, all right? One of the few areas, all right? I mean, if you ever want an interesting Bible study, find all of the occasions when Jesus went off to be alone. He goes off to be alone so that he can pause. So that he can connect. So that he can get a better perspective on people. He steps away so that he can model for God's people how we're supposed to live our lives. So for those of you that are running 900 miles an hour, pause. For those of you that are finding focus in the Barnes & Noble self-help section, Yourself can't help anybody. You need proof? Look around. For those that are already going Mach 4, you're missing out on everything that God's got going on around you. Just so we're clear, it's His birthday, it's His incarnation. It's his schedule, it's his timing, it's his architecting of the opportunities. When are we going to learn that? It's not about us. It's about him. So what's the point? Be quiet. <laughs> Slow down. Pause. Think. Remember. Remember that God knows how you feel. Remember that he's been there with you and for you. I love this. When Jesus was in the midst of the pain of crisis. He only had room for two voices when the pressure was on. 
the voice of his father, and the voice of hurting people. Hey, Christ the King, I got an idea for this Christmas. Let's do that. Let's listen to our Father and keep a keen ear out for those that just need help. Maybe in that moment, we could be the hands and the feet of Jesus in a county that so desperately, desperately needs Him. Sociologists will tell us that over 75% of people would come to church if somebody would just invite them. I'm going to tell you something. There is an openness between Thanksgiving and Christmas that doesn't exist any other time of year, maybe with the exception of Easter weekend. So to the 1,100 plus that are in this room right now, can I invite you to cause a problem for us? If all of you would invite one person, you're going to create a big problem for me. Bring it on. We'll find out whether or not I know how to pause. And connect with God and not see people as interruptions, but as opportunities. I dare you. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for such practical help. Because boy, Lord, we need it. So God, as we turn our attention to you now, Lord, we've learned. And now we're going to take an opportunity to worship. So, Lord, would you inhabit the praise of your people now? Lord, would you come and just fortify this in the deepest part of our soul? Would you encourage and walk alongside of us as we we internalize what we've learned today? Jesus, would you allow this next nine to ten minutes to be a moment when we just pause and connect deeply with God? And choose to not see people as interruptions, but as opportunities. So Lord, I thank you for simple truth in a complex world. Lord, may you make music of our lives in the space between the notes this week. Father, I pray for just a spirit of generosity from our church. As we care for people who desperately need the help. Lord, I pray that we would understand again this Thanksgiving season. We've been blessed to be a blessing. So, Lord, may we be uh, extravagant givers of ourselves and the blessings that you have given to us. We acknowledge you as the great giver of all. We pray these things in Jesus' precious name.